There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watson. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on February the 9th, 2010. Newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. Look at all the other sites I have up there. Bookmark them for future use and try these alternate sites once in a while. Often you'll get through quicker because everyone goes into the com at the same time. There's also CuttingThroughTheMatrix.net.us.ca there's Alan Watt, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.ca. There's CuttingThrough.Jenkness.com. And there's also Alan Watt, sentient, Sentinel.eu. That latter one is the European site. You can download audios from it. They can also uh, choose from a bunch of transcripts that have been done in the various languages of Europe for prints up. And uh, the, a lot of folk are going into there and using it quite frequently. So... If you want anything to read, just print them up too. It's much better reading, I think, than listening sometimes. And you can take it with you wherever you go, including the the washroom, if that suits you, the throne. Now, it's up to you, the listeners, to keep me going because, as I say, I always stress that no one's backing me here. Uh, This is probably the only program out there that isn't backed by some company, corporation, and I don't sell things except the books I, I write, write and so on on this show. So it's up to you to back me and keep me going. The ads you hear on this show are paid directly by the advertisers. I've got nothing to do with it. Uh, and they pay RBN directly for broadcasting this show on satellite and so on. And that pays RBN for the time it pays them for the staff and their board ops and all the bills that flood in. So you can keep me going by buying that, which I for sale at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Personal checks are good from the U.S. to Canada. You can also use from the U.S. to Canada international postal money orders. I think it's the only country left where you can still use a, an international postal money order from your post office. It used to be across the board across the world, but they've stopped it everywhere else except the States. But stress, remember, international because of the, don't come away with the green one, whatever you do, have to send it back. They won't cash it, that's internal only. The pink, uh, uh communist one is the, the international one for the world. And that can get cashed in, in Socialist Canada. You can also send cash as well, if you want to purchase the books or donate from any country. And you can also, um, as I say, use Western Union, MoneyGram, Outside America, same thing, MoneyGram, Western Union, Cash, PayPal. Order through PayPal as well. Just send me a separate email along with the payment from PayPal, and I'll get whatever it is you want on the website off to you. Those who get the disk burned and passed to them and don't use computers to place on the one CD players, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estere, which is E-S-T, A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. Postal code is P for Peter, 3, E as in Elizabeth, 4, 
N for Nora, 1. P, 3E, 4N, 1. And it's very important you get the postal code right, so I'm not kidding, you just one letter and they'll hold it up at customs forever. And then they send it back to you. It's just incredible. Uh, one letter, even though the, the town's correct and everything else is correct, that one letter, and suddenly they're like robots, they, can't, they just don't know what to do. They, they can't look it up on a map or anything. But that's the way it is in this computerized world where people can't think anymore for themselves. But, but it's very important to, now when you donate to me, um, it's very much appreciated for those who do. It's always the same bunch. Occasionally a new person comes in on a one-time thing. And uh, that's really necessary because this is not a job. It's a full-time, it's not even a career. Uh, it's beyond a career. There's no time to do much else except prepare and do all the shows, uh, get things ready for the shows at night. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. I've talked so much in the past about the accidental view of history versus the planned view of history. And academia would love to have everyone believe through all their various professors that churn out the books, the authorized history books for us, that everything just happens by chance here and there. Nations rise up and while somebody wants, wants to go to war and uh, the world gets in an awful mess and we all pay for it. And then out of that comes something from emergency meetings at the end of wars and all that. That's quite interesting to to see that point of view. However, it can't be denied when you go over the books that were written by big players before World War One, even, that many of them talked about the necessity, especially the globalists, the ones who wanted to bring in an international socialist order. Uh, and it, again, too, it's so confusing. Most folk think of socialism as uh, a system. Ideally, it's a system where if a government is going to tax you, then they plough all the money back into serving the people with services and so on. That's the ideal, which has never, ever been in existence in reality. But an international socialist world order, backed by the big boys, the financial elite, who always look in the future, they were hiring think tanks back in the 1700s. Because they must always decide the trends. Trends don't happen by themselves. If you allow them to happen to, by themselves, you would lose control of the entire structural system that's already in existence. So you, you create the trends, you fund the organizations, you fund the associations of very rich people, middle class people, all the way down to the, the lower strata, and you guide them. You guide them. And in the 1800s, they wanted a, a world society. Wells wrote about it, H.G. Wells. Now, all the... The Marxists were on board with this idea, of course, and it was for global revolution. There's many ways to have revolutions. There's many kinds of revolutions. Most of them are done through social change. Uh, Then you have to create the trend to create the movement. Sometimes it can take 20, 30, 40 years to create a particular movement that eventually is powerful enough to make its voice heard and make its demands heard. And that's like the, the Green Movement started a long time ago, funded by the big foundations, again, to bring in a, a national, an international socialist world order. And they wanted the destruction of nations. 
And again, that sounds one wonderful thing, the destruction of, of countries that keep battling each other and fighting and going to war. But no one asks, wait a minute, now, why did they always go to these wars? Who funded the wars? Who profited from wars, ongoing war? Who lent to kings, queens, and governments? Huge amounts of money. And at that time, it was gold. Solid bars of gold that was transferred back and forth by ships and carriages. You have to ask all these questions and getting back to what I said earlier, uh, those who were in charge of financial uh, situations worldwide always had to manage the trends, uh, including using what we now call futurist think tanks, people who take the trends of today where is this going to go tomorrow, 50 years, 100 years? And then they control, they create the movements to control the direction of the world. That really is how it's planned. It's no different than any kind of social planning from a local council setting up areas for building houses for the next 50 years, the expansion of the population, where do they want to put the population, and where do they want to remove the populations from as well. That's happening right now under the greening movement, the environmental movements. They actually want to destroy and eradicate the suburbs. I've read the articles that Obama uh, spoke about, and the man he brought in who came up supposedly with the idea of mass uh, destruction of suburban areas are now defunct. The factories have gone. They no longer want them around. Because we've all to live in the middle cities, the big cities, the centralized cities, the super cities, as the UN calls them, while we, we're managed going down this road to a world state, which eradicates all the other nation states. The nation states will, be, will turn into regional Blocks, that was part of the plan, and that's not the whole plan either. Remember, this is an ongoing thing. They do nickname it the, the never-ending story. Man is a material. We are clay. We can be molded into any shape, form, meaning psychologically and, and eventually genetically to serve the purposes of the elite. Nothing is impossible given that the finances, the money, and backing the scientists for research and development. Nothing is impossible. But they also want to reshape the world and eradicate the uh, systems which they used in the past, which were nation-states for war and conquest and empire building. Britain was the country they chose eventually to bring in a good part of the beginnings for a world empire. It it pretty well ruled three-quarters of the globe, and we forget about that. And once that was done, they, they brought in the League of Nations, and then the big one, the United Nations. And they said at the time they would use the British Commonwealth countries, as it then re-termed it, you see, it sounds better than an empire, Commonwealth countries as a nucleus of a standardized system of democracy for the rest of the world. And then they would start demolishing the nation-states by putting them into regional blocks initially, and then... Over a period of 50 years, they would take them down uh, by splitting them up, divvying them up like a piece of cake, like a wedding cake, so they could never unite again as a, a big, powerful country. Yesterday, I read an article concerning the the sale of the port of Dover. And that old song goes that the, there's bluebirds over the, the white cliffs of Dover. Uh, well, Dover now belongs to a French 
international corporation that is buying up ports worldwide. Interesting that too, you see under the, the globalist agenda, which is also a combination of Marxism for, to be in the collective society at the bottom, run on a communistic basis with an elite uh, uh, feudal system above it all of corporate CEOs, you find that CEOs and companies are getting exactly what Mark suggested. There'll be one company that will run all ports, one company that will run factory, uh, factories for shoes, one fa- and so on and so on. That's what it's to be down to. They think it's to be more efficient, you see. And and then, as I say, they split it all up into these small uh, city-state type places. The futurist reports for the next 50 years after the riots that have to occur shortly and then end in about 50 years uh, will end up with uh, certain cities that still exist today. Not all of them will still be around, but some of them will still exist. The high-tech cities, super cities, which will be extremely wealthy and high-tech and full of people into the sciences there, they're the ones who will come through, according to the books churned out by people like Jax E. Lull, or Atali, sorry, Jax Atali, who has churned out books on this very thing. And there may only be five super cities across the whole planet. Outside, it's sort of wasteland, barbaric uh, remnants and stuff like that as they're dying off. I'm not kidding. This is from their, their own think tanks. But here's an example of what they've been doing, too. And it's, it's, all, it's just right on cue. I always say I'm never shocked by anything because I've read their books uh, uh, and as many of their older books as I could get my hands on. And this article here is Tuesday, February the 9th. This is the Economic Union, which is a, a parliament superstate now, remember us, a new Soviet, wipes England off the map as Gordon Brown, the Prime Minister, flies the flag of St. George over Downing Street. It's well named Downing Street because it's gone down, eh? And it says, the Conservatives have issued a St. George's Day rallying cry against plans by the Brussels Parliament to wipe England off the map and create a united Europe as Gordon Brown hoisted the English national flag over 10 Downing Street to celebrate St. George's Day, it was revealed that the Economic Union officials had revised a map wiping out the country and the channel. The change splits England into three and lumps those parts together with chunks of other countries to create transnational regions. Interesting, eh? Right on right on cue. Wells wrote about this in the late 1800s when he worked... Um, with the Fabian Society. It says, um, it's claimed that these zones which have been allocated their own budgets are intended to boost trade between the EU nations. <laughs> they always give you a, a, a plausible truth, but never the real one. But the Conservatives yesterday accused the government of trying to create a European superstate via the back door. Well, come on, it's already here, haven't they noticed? Under the program known as Interreg, REG. Countries along England's south coast form the, the Manche region along with northern France. Divide and rule how the southeast has been paired up with regions across the Channel. The Atlantic region takes in western England along with Ireland, Wales and parts of Portugal, Spain, France and Scotland. Meanwhile, eastern England is part of the North Sea region which covers areas of Sweden, Denmark, Germany, Belgium, Norway, and the Netherlands. The UK government is fully behind the project. Well, it's totally Fabian Socialist. Uh, Brown is a 
complete Fabian. He's a member of the Fabian Society. Look into their website. So is uh, Tony Blair before him. And it says, even though the words England and Britain are left off the official maps of each area, and the Manche region renames the English Channel the Channel Sea. Each region which will be given taxpayers' money, how they always use the slaves' money to put them in chains, eh? to, pr- to promote trade links, cultural ties, transport policies, and tourism, is to be run by a managing authority, see, private authority, of unelected officials overseen by a director. Welcome to the new system, new feudal system, you see. None will be based in the UK, with Manch ruled by the French, Atlantic by the Portuguese, and North Sea by the Danes. The regions have legal status as entities like, like corporations. I'll read more of this when I come back from this break. It's amazing. It's quite amazing, and not so at the same time. I'm Alan Watton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix, and that's the guitar wailing because we've got lots to wail about. Although most folk will go on as, as, as before, they don't see the immediate changes and they adapt into it gradually as it's all planned to happen. It says here, I'm talking about the, the, the divvying up of uh, the UK, uh, and people can laugh, but it's going to happen in Canada and the States as well. And it's also going to happen across uh, in, in the Far East too. But it says here, the regions have legal status and manage a budget of £261 million and they already allocated it back in 2007 and the next part is to be done in 2013. Uh, it says Atlantic is £127 million and the North Sea is to get £219 million to get them off the, off the ground, basically. Every project funded by a region must have a publicity campaign which ensures there's provision for flying the EU flag at least one week every year. See, it's again Fabian, a bit at a time, and you get used to it. Eric Pickles, the Conservatives uh, community spokesman, said, We already knew that Gordon Brown had hoisted the white flag of surrender to the European Constitution. Actually, it was the red flag that Mr. Brown hoisted long ago, and all the people before him as well. And that's what was happening there. And this article here is also from the Mail Online, and it's the September 2006, going back to 2006. Um, it says here, the new map of Britain that makes Kent part of France, and it's a German idea. It says, uh, for centuries the people of Kent have called their country the Garden of England, so they might find it quite a surprise that according to the European Union at least, they're actually part of France. Along with next-door Sussex, Kent has been rolled in with the Calais area on a map drawn up for Brussels. The, the counties now belong to the Transmanche region. Under the plans from German cartographers, the east of England has also been shoehorned into a new region which includes Scandinavia. The western side of Britain has been lumped together with Ireland and Atlantic coasts of France, Spain and Portugal. 
Conservatives accused the EU of plotting to undermine nation-states and even wipe Britain off the map. They warned that the German government wants to make the downgrading of national borders a key plank of its presidency of the EU next year, where that already happened, despite the rejection of the European Constitution by voters, which now, of course, is all passed, whether they liked it or not. Brussels bureaucrats are poised to take charge of all spatial information in EU nations, forcing the 25 member states to bring their maps into line with specifications laid down by Brussels. All planned before everybody signed anything. They knew they'd ram all the votes through, you see. They never give up because it's after all. It's very interesting when you read the, the minutes and the books put out by the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which basically has different branches, including the Fabian Society. They run right and left wing and all things in between. Carl Quigley said in his own book, as the historian of that organization, which is also called the CFR, Council of Foreign Relations, that they don't mind who comes in, dictators, communists, Marxists, um, fascists, whatever, as long as they all go along with the agenda. And that's what they've used, everybody. So it says here, those living in countries uh, or counties from Essex northwards will join the North Sea region under the plans, which taking coastal areas of Belgium, Holland, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. The new regions have been drawn up for a project called Interreg, Interreg, which wants to foster cross-border cooperation. I love this cooperation thing. It's like closer ties, which means totally bound together legally, on issues such as tourism, trade, health, and the environment. Now, when you go into economics, you look at um, economics, uh, they say that everything... All laws revolve around economics, all laws in every country, and that's why they use trade and economics to bind the European Union together in the first place. That was the reason for it. Uh, you, you will have a, a complete amalgamation if you bind it all through economics. The EU project will lead to a harmonization of geographical names, administrative units, and maps. Brussels will also be able to create a database of property information used for taxation purposes because now they'll be sending out the tax forms to everybody around their new Soviet bloc. The Tories claim this could be the first step in imposing an EU-wide property tax. His local government spokesman Eric Pickles said, under the Labour government, Britain has already been subdivided into regions as part of John Prescott's empire building. Well, it wasn't his. It was planned long before he was born. I fear that there's an agenda to undermine the national identities and impose... Uh, you fear? You, I mean, it's like a slight suspicion. Boy, boy, I tell you, they play the game, eh? I fear there's an agenda to undermine national identities and impose a United States of Europe by stealth. Well, that's happened now. And it's as conservatives will fight these attempts to balkanize Britain. Meanwhile, every government, left-wing, right-wing, that's been in Britain... Uh, for as long as I've been born and before I was born were signing further integration treaties with the EU. They actually set up the offices in every government in Europe under agreements made at the end of World War II, but they set up the, 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 the actual bureaucratic structures in 1948 and they've been signing agreements ever since for total integration. Quite amazing, but not really. Read your old books and you'll get the whole picture. Back with more after this break.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. I was thinking about all the other things that are happening right now with the, the, the viral taxis that are coming down the pike, uh, the carbon trading, right down to you being billed for your carbon usage, estimated according to how much energy you use, electricity and so on. And eventually you're going to see rationing on gasoline and various other things. So they all get you into your little, your little region where you can move around in, but you'll be unable to use private transportation according to the United Nations Agenda 21. All this stuff is out there for those that want to look at it. Most folk don't want to. Most folk don't really want to look at this. Even people who are going crazy with the Internet, and some people are going crazy. I get crazy emails all the time. Because yesterday, for instance, I'll give an example. I read, I read about the Weather Warfare Treaty, and I didn't use the UN site. And some guy emailed me up and says, well, I couldn't find it anywhere. Meanwhile, I've downloaded everything from the UN sites on weather warfare, because they update the treaty every year, or every couple of years, and the guy said he couldn't find it. Well, I can't be his nanny, you see. Uh, and he's probably too busy looking in a hundred different directions for other things at the same time. He can't concentrate on one thing. So there's a downside to information overload as well. But... Taxes everywhere. Now, there's also a Tobin tax. You've heard the name floated once in a while uh, for those that still have memory. And people really are losing their memories. They've just forgotten that we had the flu scare there and we had billions of dollars thrown at it and it didn't exist and now it just faded away. But it's officially, by the way, been announced that it's over. Uh, I hope you I hope you understand that now. It would be the sigh of relief that uh, it's over, that the non-event is over. And before that, you just got suckered by the banks that collapsed supposedly with trillions of bucks as well. But that's all forgotten now as well. But the Tobin tax has been floated many times, and it's a world tax. Uh, this article is about that. It's from the New American, 8th of February 2010. For decades, the Tobin tax, a proposed global tax on currency transactions, has remained far from economic mainstream thoughts being primarily the hobby horse of left-wing academics and advocates of world governments such as the world federalists or communist dictators such as Fidel Castro. The past few years, however, has seen a host of Tobin-type proposals coming from more establishment sources. In the past few months, it's been boosted by liberal left economists Paul Krugman and Robert Kuttner, as well as French President Nicolas Sarkozy, French Foreign Minister Bernard Kuchner, British Prime Minister Gordon Brown, European Commission President José Manuel Barroso, the European Council, Greek Prime Minister George Papandrua, who is also President of the Socialist International, by the way, (laughs) and the UK's Financial Services Authority Chairman Lord Adair Turner. Advocates of the Tobin tax, named for the late Yale economics professor and Nobel laureate James Tobin, suggest a tax on foreign currency transactions would engender international currency stability by discouraging speculation. Now, what it actually does, too, is pass uh, the the cost of every transaction uh, of, of the goods which are imported and then sold to you 
all the way down to you because obviously the big boys have to pass it down. They don't want to pay it. They only pass it on down to the guy at the bottom. It means all of you because everything now is imported. And it says some politicians like Gordon Brown and Venezuela's Hugo Chavez have pushed for Tobin taxes at the national level. However, as the British journal The Economist noted, unless a Tobin tax were implemented worldwide, trading would move out of any country that enforced it. Tobin proponents differ greatly on the optimum rate that should be charged, which is expected since the line between speculating and investing is largely subjective. Some Tobin tax advocates propose simplifying things by levying a tax not only on foreign currency conversions, but all security transactions. With tens of trillions of dollars in transactions taking place, that raises the possibility of raising hundreds of billions of dollars annually in new tax revenues. Voila, suddenly the Tobin tax is transformed from a stabilizing tool into an almost inexhaustible global source of revenue. Remember, the whole deal, too, is to get the UN up to its proper status. Because uh, that's where it's supposed to be, is the, uh, not just, a, it's never been a negotiating table, believe you me, it's been an advocate, uh, a system set up for advocating all the global policies to bring them into a world government. That was its function, but it needs the cash to do so. And it's going to get a lot already through all of these carbon taxes, by the way, once Lord Rothschild's bank has had his hands in it for a while, gathering interest in Switzerland, then gets passed on to the United Nations. So this is another one that's going to be tacked onto the UN as well. It says Cuban dictator Fidel Castro addressing the UN's World Conference Against Racism, Racial Discrimination, Xenophobia and Related Intolerance in Durban, South Africa in September 2001 proposed a Tobin tax that would provide the UN with a trillion dollars annually. Fidel said, it says here, May the tax suggested by Nobel Prize laureate James Tobin be imposed in a reasonable and effective way. This is Fidel talking on the current speculative operations accounting for trillions of U.S. dollars every 24 hours. Then the United Nations, which cannot go on depending on meager, inadequate and belated donations and charities, charities, it's multi-trillion foundations, will have one trillion U.S. dollars annually to save and develop the world. Ha, ha, ha. Given the seriousness and urgency of the existing problems, which have become a real hazard for the very survival of our species on the planet, that is what would actually be needed before it's too late. That's what Fidel says. Cuba's erstwhile maximum leader would find few to disagree with him over at the Tobin Tax Campaign and Policy Network, which includes dozens of groups of the far left, such as the National Lawyers Guild, the Institute for Policy Studies, Friends of the Earth, World Federalist Association, Rainforest Action Network, Oxfam, the World Council of Churches. Yep, the world's here. When you join these groups and then you, then you go into conferences that Mr. Rockefeller sat up, the World Council of Churches, you're just being used. The Commission on Global Governance as well and the AFL-CIO. The AFL-CIO, however, apparently realizes that a Tobin tax is more politically feasible if the revenues generated from it are promised to spending on domestic programs rather than the United Nations, though it is not averse to funding UN projects as well. Most news stories paint the Obama administration as being firmly against any type of Tobin tax, 
with much being made of Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner's reported opposition. By the way, the links um, uh, are all on this. Even Geithner's reported opposition to Gordon Brown's Tobin tax proposal last November at the G20 summit. Geithner's anti-Tobin comments may or may not reflect genuine opposition by the administration to the transaction tax. There's ample reason for suspecting that the announced opposition is more posturing and manoeuvring and that Team Obama may be planning a strategic flip-flop on the issue, and it will happen. After all, that is what Gordon Brown did before becoming a top Tobin advocate. He was a leading opponent. By the way, it's great in Canada. I can remember when uh, the NAFTA treaty was coming in, after, after the free trade uh, negotiations had already been done. And uh, I think Brian Mulroney, for the Conservatives, said, said he was fighting it. He was fighting NAFTA, and that's what he ran his ticket on. And he got in, and two weeks after he got in, it was all over the papers. He suddenly changed his mind and was now the leading, leading advocate for NAFTA. And then after all, got sick of him and voted in the left wing, the Liberals, uh, then uh, uh, Kretian, he ran his ticket on the same thing. He was against NAFTA, and sure enough, within a month, he was now the leading advocate for NAFTA. He had a sudden change of heart. So they're, they're all, all the boys belong to the same club. There's no such thing as left wing and right wing anymore. In fact, there, there really hasn't been in the past. Really hasn't been. They all get paid to get in there by the same big multi-trillionaires. And you think there's free gifts they're giving them? No, that's a payoff you're given to do as you're told. And Carl Quigley said himself, he said that the United States, for instance, and he meant Britain too and a good part of Europe, he says for the last 60 years has been run by this organization. He meant the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute for International Affairs. And he said they always put in the tops for elections, the tops of all parties for Elections, he says, and their top advisors have put in there as well, their, their, their vice presidents and so on. So it's just been a game for the public to believe in as they manage us along into this new, brave new world, but first going into the Orwellian phase of it. It's actually a mixture of the two right now to bring out their final outcome. And that's what we're living through. We're just living through a script, as I say, and they must keep us placated and stupid and dumb with, with fairly, although minimalistically, plausible answers. And, and that's what's done to us. It's astonishing, too, what's happening in the States. Um, when you see legislators going through the motions of madness, in a sense, this article, again, should be a, an April Fool's Day thing, but it's not. It's true, and I think it's from Raw Story. It's in other papers as well. But it's, it says, no joke. South Carolina now requires subversives to register with the government. No kidding. Friday, February the fifth, two thousand ten. Terrorists who want to overthrow the United States government, uh, it says, uh, uh, are now required must now register with South Carolina's Secretary of State and declare their intentions or face a $25,000 fine and up to 10 years in prison. The state's Subversive Activities Registration Act passed last year and now officially on the books states that every member of a subversive organization or an organization subject to foreign control 
It says, every foreign agent and every person who advocates, teaches, advises, or practices the duty, necessity, or propriety of controlling, conducting, seizing, or overthrowing the government of the United States shall register with the Secretary of State. Well, you see, they've got most of them already there already, and that's, that's the corporations of America, because the leaders have been leading you into this new global system run by the UN for before you were born. You can imagine they're actually asking you to, to do this, and they're even charging you a $5 filing fee. $5 filing fee to get put on the books. By subversive organization, the law means every corporation, society, association, camp group, bund, political party, assembly, body or organization composed of two or more persons which directly or indirectly advocates, advises, teaches or practices a duty, necessity or propriety of controlling, conducting, seizing or overthrowing the government of the United States or of this state. <laughs> and you can get a PDF if you want. It can be downloaded as well. But the world, uh, yeah, it's quite the world. I wonder, too, you probably get some idiots who'll go and register with it as well. Uh, uh, it's amazing. I guess the choice then is prison or the loony bin, and perhaps they think the food's better in prison. I don't know, but it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Uh, people were talking about the big pharma's push uh, through the FDA and other organizations to do with getting the alternate natural health products off the shelves. And it's happened across Europe. They're heavily regulated now, put a lot of people out of business, and they're trying to do the same here. It was all signed again through the United Nations, our big brother. This article here uh, is about uh, big pharma's push through the U.S. It says, stop selling unlicensed natural health remedies say the pharmacy regulators, February the 7th, 2010, from the National Post in Canada. As for the states too, the National Association of Pharmacy Regulatory Authorities says pharmacists cannot be assured the products are safe until they are granted a government license. National Post, the National Association of Pharmacy Regulatory Authorities, says pharmacists cannot be assured... Well, this is repeating it twice. I don't know why they do that on these sites. Makers of natural health products say they're bracing for well, uh, widespread layoffs and millions of dollars in losses after Canada's pharmacy regulators issued a surprise directive recently urging druggists to stop selling unlicensed natural remedies. The order affects thousands of herbal treatments, multivitamins and other products, most of them waiting for approval from Health Canada under a backlogged five-year-old program to regulate the natural health goods. The National Association of Pharmacy Regulatory Authorities says pharmacists cannot be assured the products are safe until they're granted a government license and should not sell them in those circumstances. Now, the National Association of Pharmacy Regulatory Authorities, well, you know, these are the guys who basically are the front men for the pharma groups. Just like the federal, uh, the FDA is in the U.S. And I read, read the thing the other day. We had uh, uncovered documents and, and mail between uh, big pharma to members within the FDA to do with advocating an in, in inquiry and, and being all for uh, Ritalin and so on being given to youngsters. And that's what they, they said. I think it was at Lilly, the company Lilly, Yai Lilly. They said we have five, uh, doctor, or five doctors there on the board who are our friends. They're friendly to our company. They'll, get it. they'll, they'll be on our side. 
and they, they named them too, who these doctors were. And there's a video up as well on YouTube about them, and you'll see these guys. Uh, so here you have the same thing in Canada. See, everything is corrupt, really. There's nothing there for your, for what you think they're there for. They're all on the payroll of somebody or somebody else. Since pharmacists are obliged to hold the health and safety of public or patient in their first and foremost consideration, so again, they give a plausible reason. Representatives of the national health industry, however, have re- reacted angrily to the directive issued last month, predicting it will have little impact on patient safety while triggering an economic crisis for their members. We're talking about job losses. We're talking about a lot of income loss. We're talking about product stock or stuck in warehouses that cannot be sold. Jean Vies Dion, a spokesman for the Canadian Health Food Association, said in an interview. A statement issued by the association calls for the directive self-serving, it calls it self-serving directive, and contrary to federal government policy. It's taken a sledgehammer to a finishing nail, the group said. It will create confusion for consumers. It's the wrong thing to do. NAPRA, N-A-P-R-A, comprised of representatives of the provincial colleges of pharmacy that regulate the profession, says it's now up to the individual provinces to implement the statement. The Ontario Land, the Ontario and Quebec colleges have already done so with Ontario pressing pharmacists to not buy or order any more of the affected products and its neighbour pushing for druggists to also remove unlicensed products already on the shelves, Mr. Dion said. The pharmacies, which were surprised by the directive as anyone else, are caught in the middle, said Jeff Poston of the Canadian Pharmacists Association. One of the, the questions that everybody is asking in the pharmacy world is, why now? As far as people are can determine, nothing has significantly changed. Well, a lot has changed. They had the, the big global meeting about it at the United Nations to do with uh, this, and, and certain people, myself included, have mentioned it in the past. This was going to happen. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. Now, I think there's time to tr- get Stefan from Germany on the line if he's there. Are you there, Stefan? Alan? Yes. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you fine. Okay, thanks. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I've got a question regarding the European Union. Mm-hmm. And I would like, uh, if you c- could tell, um, in your opinion, what does the flag of, you, of the European Union signify, the 12 star? Um, I haven't looked at it too closely, to be honest with you. Um, There's th- a blue background. Blue in the society has always stood for something under law. Uh, that's why most police uh, in Western countries wore the blue uniform before they turned to the black of the executioner for this era. Uh, so blue generally stands for law, uh, by the force of law. And then you, you have the white uh, stars. Uh, it's a circle of white stars. Very interesting. There's 12 of them. They said at the beginning that oh, even though they might have 30, 40 or more members, they'd always keep the 12 originating states on that flag. They wouldn't add to it. Uh, if you look at Benjamin Franklin, 
um, who was a member of the Rosicrucian Society and also the English Lodge uh, Society. He was also a member of the Hellfire Club or the Dashwood uh, Club in England. Um, he said he hoped the Federation of the United States would be uh, eventually a federation of the world. That's what it was to lead to. And be, uh, he said it, we didn't mention it would be run by a government as such. He said it would be run by 12 wise men because they, they brought the Kabbalah into it, of course, just like Albert Pike did uh, later on. So you have the 12 rulers. There's always 12 rulers. They're always in the background, uh, the wise men who uh, give the orders to the puppet governments in front of them, basically. And these 12 men are steeped in the agenda. I was going to mention before, it's the same with the, the books from the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations. They're always funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, and it's, they'll state in every book, we are non-political organizations. Now you think, my God, they're into every part of politics. They're, they're correct. They do not play politics. They... They, they control an agenda. So they're not in politics. They control uh, an agenda, including controlling the politicians. So they're, they're telling you a truth there. We have never had democracy. We've, we've had an agenda on the go. Democracy was the means to get everybody to go along with it. And this, this agenda was on the table. When Karl Marx wrote about uh, a regional society, regional blocks of trading nations back in the 1800s, uh, he was also in on the agenda, as were quite a few others, very top players at that time. They're going along with the agenda, and after using the world to, to, through our tax money, through our militaries, to bring in a world society through the NATO, the UN, and so on, um, it's time now to take those countries apart into smaller regions and break them up so they can, as, as Tony Blair said when he was Prime Minister of Britain, um, flood the countries with, with so much multiculturalism that Britain will never, ever be English again. That's what he said. That's what he said. And now I read the article from the newspaper. It's happened. This is a deliberate uh, uh, um, agenda to destroy the, all the old existing nations so we can all be ruled by the few in a totalitarian manner and we can't come together as peoples anymore uh, with co- things in common to fight them. That's a technique of warfare. But thanks for calling. And that's the end of the show coming in. So from Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>